Would you pray with me? Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I want to take you to the Gospels for a moment, the 15th chapter. This is part of one of the most beautiful, I think, parts of at least the Gospel of John. It's part of the final discourse of Jesus that he gave to his disciples before he left us in the flesh. Sometimes we save the most important things for the very last. And I think these words, although they were spoken, at least in John's context, to the disciples, I often find myself, and I invite you to see yourself sitting there as Jesus offered these words, some of the last words that he taught. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. This I command you, to love one another. Well, when Susan invited me to uh, come and preach this morning, since we were here for the Foreman Brown reunion, I have to confess I was a bit hesitant. You see, other than my youngest son's wedding, this is only the second time I've preached since retiring back in 2012. And let me tell you, it's not like riding a bike. <laughs> I also discovered um, I will probably be tied to my notes more than I used to be my memory not being what it once was. And the font on the page is a lot larger <laughs> than it used to be. You know, in the time of my retirement, I have really enjoyed what we kind of call the view from the pew. And even more than that, just being able to sit with my wife in worship on Sunday morning, something quite rare during my 40-year ministry. But with the encouragement of Sandra, my wife, I eventually said yes to Susan's invitation. 
And in a few moments, you and I may both wish I had stuck with my initial thought of... <laughs> but regardless, I'm so glad to be here this morning. I think it was 10 years ago that I was invited and I was able to be here and, and to share the message. And I'm also very glad to, to be here to give your pastor some needed time away with his family. The humorist, Will Rogers told us that he never met a man he didn't like. Now, I don't know what your response is to Roger's statement, but I'm led to think that he was to utilize an overworked phrase in denial. I mean, come on. Can any of us say that we have, without exception, always liked every single person with whom we have ever come into contact? I don't think so. In fact, I appreciated the honesty of a well-seasoned pastor who confessed, there are some people to whom I couldn't warm even if I were cremated with them. <laughs> so let me put this on the table before I go any further. Christian men and women are not called to like everyone. Remember the old camp song? They'll know we are Christians by our love. It's not they'll know we are Christians by our likes and dislikes. So if there are folks to whom you do not warm, please know that you are not in violation of any Christian norm, at least that I'm aware of. We're not called to like, but we are called, and this is both the joy and the challenge of the gospel, to love. Jesus said, according to the writer of John, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, no one's going to argue with that. I mean, after all, what the world needs now is, right? But when you sit eyeball to eyeball with another person, especially one who is cantankerous, obnoxious, difficult, unlovely, and seemingly unlovable, it's anything but an easy task. There are some people we just don't care to be around, but we're not called to like. We're called to love. I like, I think, uh, one of my favorite Writers, I think what Frederick Beekner says gets at the heart of this command of Jesus when he observed what I have long thought and professed. He writes, in the Christian sense, love is not primarily an emotion, but an act of will. And I think he's right. Love in the Christian sense is something we choose to do. Let me flesh this out just for a few moments. When Jesus commands us that we love, it's with a qualifier. He said, as I have loved you. Christian love is referentially learned. In other words, we know something about the mandates of love because we have first been loved. I mean, when you stop and think about it, I guess all of love is referential. We learn what it's about 
when we become its beneficiaries. The, the love of parents, of surrogate parents, of grandparents, of aunts and uncles, of friends and fellow believers, all are ways in which we first learn what it's like to be loved. We love because others have loved us. I came into the uh, Foreman family because of my love for Sandra. That love came about because of the love I knew from my family, my parents, my grandparents, and many generations that went before with that love coming down through each generation. I know that Sandra's love for me grew out of her knowing love from her parents, her grandparents, her aunts and uncles, and so many others. After Sandra and I announced our engagement back in 1975, we made a trip down to Hannibal. I think, if I remember right, it was to be a part or to see a witness a wedding of one of the cousins. I'm not quite sure, but we were here. And on our last day during that visit, Grandmother Foreman invited me to join her in the dining room. Now, I don't know how the rest of you respond, but when somebody came to me and said, Grandmother Foreman would like to speak to you in the dining room, and being new to the family, I felt just a little anxious. She invited me in, and we sat down together. And she said, Keith, I have an early Christmas gift for you. And then she gave me a wrapped present. I opened it, and I found a book inside. I can tell you that after 43 years, it still has a place on my bookshelf. It was actually written by a well-known United Methodist pastor at that time, Charles Allen, and the book is titled The Miracle of Love. And it's a book I referred to many times over the course of my ministry. And although I don't remember her exact words, it was something to the effect Keith, remember, there is nothing more important, more demanding, and more needed than love. And in those words, and what I subsequently came to know in the Foreman family, she spoke a truth that has been the spirit that haunts that homestead where love has been lived. For generations. Same can be true of this church. For generations, persons have walked up those steps into this sanctuary and into a presence of love that has changed lives and enabled folks to go out and to be Christ's people in the world. You see, my friends, love is something we learn. And I believe that homestead out on HH and this church in this beautiful setting, and hopefully your home and my home have been learning centers for love. Now, as this is certainly true in our human relationships, so it's even more true in our relationship with God. You remember Elizabeth Barrett Browning's wonderful words from Sonnets from the Portuguese? 
The face of all the world is changed, I think, since first I heard the footsteps of thy soul move still, oh, still beside me as they stole betwixt me and the dreadful outer brink of obvious death, where I, who thought to sink, was caught up into love and taught the whole of life in a new rhythm. For the Christian community, that whole of life is a new rhythm. And that is the unfettering and grace-filled love of God as we have come to know it in the teachings and the life and the spirit of Jesus. Love one another, Jesus said, as I have loved you. You know, we live in a culture that loves to quantify. We weigh, measure, time, photograph, and generally assess just about anything we can get our hands on. And what's more, I'm not sure we much like that which we can't quantify and therefore control. Maybe that's why it's so hard for many of us to grasp the, the radical nature of God's love, that it's both uncontrollable and immeasurable. Maybe that's why we're constantly trying to put parameters around God's love. Oh, if you love me, God, then you'll get me that new job. If God really loved us, then why did God allow this to happen? God can't really love those people. Look at who they are and what they've done. Folks, the bottom line is this. The love of God is both uncontrollable and immeasurable, and all our attempts to make it otherwise only keep us from experiencing an even fuller expression of that love, life in a new rhythm. We love because God first loved us. Because God's love for us is this peculiar and unfathomable love, it follows that our actions and our lives will be lived in a direction of a love that is peculiar. In my mind, that's really what distinguishes us as Christians. We are a peculiar people because of our desire to adhere and live out of a peculiar kind of love. It's a love not based on emotion or physical appearances or even human characteristics. It's a love not on feelings of compatibility or similar interest. It's a love determined not by shared politics or social perspectives. It's a love that transcends our temporal understandings and suggests an eternal quality. As believers, we are then called to a higher righteousness in our lives, a greater kindness, a more deliberate patience, and a greater ability to accept one another and to forgive one another. It's a love that must be lived each and every day. You may know the old story about the two men who met on the street one said to the other, have you heard about Harry? 
He embezzled the company out of a half a million dollars. The other man said, oh, that's terrible. I never did trust Harry. First man said, not only that, he left town and he took Tom's wife with him. The other man said, oh, that's awful. Harry has always been a ne'er-do-well. First man said, not only that, he stole a car to make his getaway. The other man said, that's scandalous. I always did think Harry had a bad streak in him. But the first man said, and not only that, they think he was drunk when he pulled out of town. And the other man said, Harry's no good. But you know what really bothers me? Who's going to teach his Sunday school class this week? <laughs> it's not just what we profess. It's not just about doctrine or what religious label we give ourselves. It has to do with living that love every day. This is my commandment, he said. Not my request. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. It's not easy. And it often demands a reevaluation of our attitudes, our prejudices, our fears, our values. But this is a love that every day we must will. Every day we must recognize that someone first chose to love us. And now we're called, mandated, commissioned, and empowered through the Holy Spirit to love others. We don't have to like them, but we are called to love them. Let us pray. God, it's so hard because we get so caught up in our temporal lives that sometimes we fail to see the eternal quality of your love for us and that call that we are to live in that direction and live in love's direction in our daily lives. And it's something we must will to do every day. I choose to live in that love. Thank you for this time together, O oh God. Thank you for this congregation and this family. Thank you for your blessings that abound within our lives and community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.